Hello you, tuning in to Psychomedy. It's Rafaela here from ThreadUp. ThreadUp brings exciting new changes to its services in direct response to what we learned while supporting comedians and creatives through the crisis with their mental health and including those who lost their income. Check it out at threadup.co.uk and get in touch to arrange your therapy that supports creativity. Psychomedy. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology. A subject I've been studying for 25 years and a quarter of a century of studying the fascinating way our minds work on and off stage. Alongside being a stand-up comedian for the last 10 years has led me here today discussing the psychology of comedy with today's very special guest, the comedy legend that is Kate <laughs> Copstick. <laughs> Does that mean I'm not exactly real? People, people just talk about me, but I don't actually exist. <laughs> You're very real, Kate. You're here today. Um, as normal on Psychomedy, we won't be looking at each other for the duration of the conversation. Why is that, Nathan? Well, it's um, not looking at each other in psychoanalysis historically has perhaps let people oh. freeform more, relax more, not have to um, be so het up with what each other's faces are doing. Um, is the other person interested? You know, you can, you can really relax and freeform. Hopefully, wow. Let's see how it goes. Okay. So yes, we're here in Kate's wonderful Mama Biashara in Shepherd's Bush. It's my first time here. So, Kate or Copstick? This is the first thing you prefer. Yeah. Copstick. Oh, Copstick. Definitely prefer Copstick. Indeed. Okay. I, I. It makes me. Um, I, it just feels wrong hmm. to. Because I, I can't, no, Kate. My dad calls me Kate. Okay, okay. And there we go. That's that's when, it. When did you make that transition then to Copstick? Uh, when I was at school, um, my I was hopelessly besotted with my English teacher, mm. and uh, he used to walk up and down between the rows of desks, and he. Uh, Donald Campbell, his name was. God, glorious human being. Um, and he would kind of walk up and down and go, Racine, what does that mean? Copstick, I expect you know. And he'd kind of hit you across the back of the head with a ruler. So I developed uh, a, 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 a passion for being called Copstick and, um, uh, and probably that's where my liking for a bit of the old SM <laughs> uh, it, I, I definitely, there was something, something I mean, he'd be arrested now <laughs> for, for hitting a, you know, for smacking a 14-year-old across the back of the head, but um, we I... Could go, we could go back and arrest him now, it's, uh, it's never too late to arrest no, him. No, oh, I don't know, I wonder, I often wonder what he's like now, because you always think of your teachers as being old, yeah. not just 
all there, yeah. but old. Yeah. And then when you get to a certain age or whatever yourself, you go, good God, there were children. <laughs> I mean, my, my teachers must have been, you know, maybe late 20s. Yeah, That's, yeah. how could I ever have thought they were grown up? <laughs> I mean, somebody is not properly grown up until they're at least in their 50s. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. So, I shall call you Copstick then. Thank Copstick. you. Copstick. Copstick Cop. Copstick Cop. Cops. Uh, in Kenya they call me Copy. Alright. We'll mix it up. And then of course there's the, the most you rancid old bit. <laughs> I think you'll probably remember that one. <laughs> Right, so are you rancid? Oh, no. Copstick. Right. What I haven't garnered from reading and listening to you elsewhere is maybe a bit about your early years. You know, I, I don't know too much about that. I know you were born in Paisley, uh, just mm. outside Glasgow. In, um, so can you tell me a bit about your childhood? I had a fantastic childhood. My, yeah. um, well, I, I always thought until I was in my 30s, Late 30s, certainly. I always thought that my mum and dad met in Austria after the war. My mum was teaching uh, the children of the officers who were out there. And my dad was in the engineering corps. Uh, and what I'd kind of gathered was that they met. Uh, it was all wonderful, incredible love. They got married. And nine months to the day later, I was born. And it seemed to me that I kind of spoiled everything. Not as massively spoiled, but you know, you're not going to be able to be the bright young thing gadding about town and sipping Dubonnet and lemonade when there's a screaming newborn baby at home. Um, and it, it wasn't that it was a massive burden, but I just thought, that was what happened. And when I was in my late 30s, uh, I discovered that, thanks to my sister, that what in fact had happened was that mum and dad had met uh, out in Austria, abs just blinding, passionate love affair, and been at it like rabbits from the get-go. Uh, in the 50s, you know. So then, um, mum... But then, you know, their, whatever you call it, tour of duty finished, came back. Mum was in Edinburgh, Dad was in Paisley. Uh, still hurtling across Scotland to be at it like rabbits whenever they could. Um, and then they ran away. And they went and lived a kind of bright young things like down in Richmond in London. Right. When did they run away then? Uh, about, probably about a ye couple of years before I was born. Okay. And it was all fabulous. And uh, and then mum found she was pregnant. Right. And then, and they just didn't have the money for mum to stop working and whatnot. And uh, they really, which was, I just found, they didn't want to get married. They thought they were so, you know, they didn't need to get married. This was in the 50s, 
Um, and so to find out in your late 30s that you're a love child is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I said to Dad, well, why didn't you tell me? And he went, oh, I thought you might have been upset. I went, oh, what do you mean upset? I'm a love child. <laughs> I thought I came along because you and Mum, you know, had tied knots in it up until your wedding night. And then I'd immediately come along and put the kibosh on all the fun. And when, in fact, you know, you couldn't keep your hands off one another. And I was born of all that passion, which is bloody fantastic. So did you spend your, a lot of your childhood thinking this way then? That you yes. spoiled yes. things for your parents? Yes. Can you remember the first thoughts about that and when well, they I just, came um, to you? When I worked, I mean, I, I don't think when I was, you know, two, but when I worked out... I don't know, probably, maybe, I don't know, 10, something like that. Mm. You, you go, oh, all right, so I'm 25th of February. Right. And they got married on the 25th of May. <laughs> but is this something that you got any hints from them about? No, or did you just no, totally no. make it up? I've just totally made it up. Yeah. Um, absolutely I wonder, I wonder not. why you did that. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I had the most truly... There's... I was just saying to somebody, uh, one of the one of the girls here in the shop, um, I had the most secure childhood ever. My, whenever we went anywhere, you know, if there, if there was a school trip or anything at all, even going out on a Saturday night, the last thing my dad would say would be, any trouble, tell them to call me. And I utterly and absolutely knew that nothing bad could ever happen to mm. me anywhere because I would just get them to phone Dad. Mm. And um, then it would be fine. Yeah, well, that's great. And yeah, all the more interesting why you, I guess, made something up in your own head that you might, might have ruined their relationship. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it was, uh, there was so much love there that you thought... Maybe there was, maybe there was more before I came along. Well, did, yeah. did you have siblings that yes, thought well, the same way? Or? Well, you see, it's amazing, Nathan, that I'm as well-balanced, charming and mild-mannered <laughs> as I am. Because when I was two years, ten months old, <laughs> uh, my mother was thoughtless enough to give birth to triplets. Oh, wow, wow. Mm, yeah, you, wow, you may well say wow. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Well, that was it. Right. Lovely, like you know. At one minute, I was the centre of the world. <laughs> Next minute, I'm absolutely fucking nowhere. I think we can close down the chat now. We've uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've got there. Bingo. <laughs> it was. Um, wow. You know, the papers were round. It was. Um, <laughs> I just uh, apparently. According to um, my my dad, I used to, I was once found with one of the the triplets rammed up my jumper in an attempt to breast help mum breastfeed. Goodness! <laughs> but it, yeah, that was um, that was a big thing. That yeah. was like a, a life change. Yeah. Although you know, I was 
two years, ten months. I don't remember yeah. specifics, but I remember kind of flashes. Yeah, yeah. Did, 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 would, I mean, you say you had a very secure and loving childhood, mm. so that didn't... That didn't change it at all, or did in your it, own head were you thinking, "Well, now I've got only a quarter of the love that my parents are getting." Yeah, it was. It, it was never like that. But what it was, as time as time went on, uh, my security never really uh, was dented because I was smarter than them. <laughs> you know, I could do shit. Okay. Uh, so they might be... All of them as a collective. A co they were. Totally. <laughs> they were Not person. even in the same ballpark. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, while they were kind of shrieking and wetting themselves, <laughs> I could be helping mum wash the kitchen floor. Yeah. And, you know, as time went on, while they were still a bit shit, on account <laughs> of the fact they were you know, two years old, um, I could make mum breakfast in bed. So, yeah. and then I was thrilled to discover that uh, I just, I, I got, to, with, there was, um, in Paisley, it, there was, um, what do you call it, sectarian education. So, uh, if you were, it, what, the way it was supposed to work was, if you were the smartest kids in Renfrewshire, you went to Paisley Grammar. Uh, if you were smart and Catholic, you went to St. Margaret's if you were a girl, St. Joseph's if you're a boy. And if you were smart and Protestant, you went to the John Nielsen. Um, so much to my delight, uh, I got into the grammar at, because you have, you just, the grammar was all about passing tests. Age five, yeah. you passed a little test then you pass another test, then you pass another test. Yeah. And I just kept passing tests and that was wonderful because Mandy, Susan and Jeff didn't pass the test. <laughs> so, uh, I know that should not have made me happy. But... I think this is the early copstick developing at, uh, <laughs> at two years old. This is the... Um, and, it, and it does make you... I, and, you know, I never, ever, ever felt insecure. Mm. I knew Jeff was special because he was a boy. Right. I knew Mandy was a little bit special because dad liked her. Right. And I knew Susan just had this, I, I, I don't know what, she still has it. She just walks into a room and people like her. <laughs> it's inexplicable to me. That's the same as you, Kate. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, and I just, it, it was complete, I couldn't understand it. Right. I at least had to get into the room and have a couple of minutes to say something clever and funny. Yeah. And then people would go, oh, okay, yeah, she's okay. Susan just walked in and people went, what a nice girl. <laughs> I don't think anyone in my whole life has ever looked at me and gone, what a nice girl. So any, any kind of... Jealousy of Susan Oh, massive, there, or, massive, yeah. humongous, yeah. Yeah. humongous. Um, uh, just because, I think actually the word you're looking for there is envy, yeah. Nathan. Yeah. Not jealousy, envy. Sure. You might want to cut out that mistake <laughs> of yours. There. 
Uh, I cut out nothing, yeah, I say. Very, I never make a mistake. Very <laughs> envious because I just couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, that you can't learn you've to... Either, you've either got it or you yeah, haven't. Yeah, absolutely. You can't practice it mm. or, or even... I suppose the very best con artists can learn to do it as a trick. Yeah. But but there is something about my sister that just she's just nice. Yeah. Um and <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about an hour? Is it still a, does it still grate on you a little bit? I, like, how dare you be, I'm be very, so nice? The, it peaked. It absolutely peaked in our teens. Right. When um Oh, I remember I got my first mixed birthday party. Very exciting. And what does that mean, mixed birthday party? Boys and girls, Nathan, oh, boys okay, and girls. Okay. Um, Could have meant anything. I don't, I don't well, not in those days, Nathan, <laughs> no. Um, although I did have a, a friend at university, very early, early door, no, it wasn't, before university, called George, uh, who always carried a handbag and had to be avoided once a month when he had his monthlies. Mm. Um, so, Mandy, Susan and Jeff had gone off to my grand's uh, for the Saturday early evening and it was going quite well, I thought, especially as I'd smuggled in uh, a bottle of my Uncle Bob's elderberry wine. Not so much elderberry wine. It was more, it was kind of buckfasty, to be mm. fair. You literally needed to walk past the bottle and breathe deeply. <laughs> And that was it. You know, all inhibitions were gone. So things were warming up. And uh, I, I felt that, you know, I, I could end the evening as being quite popular. Uh, and then the I heard the car come up, draw up outside. Mandy and Jeff got out. Mandy and Jeff upstairs to bed as agreed. I can't stress this enough. As agreed. Susan <laughs> opens the, I mean, I'd say she, this is just something she was born with, but she did know how to work it. Mm. Even if subconsciously, Susan opens the door and goes, hi everyone, um, I'm Susan, I'm Katie's little sister. <laughs> yeah, we had to go away for the day because she didn't want us at the party. <laughs> and it seemed to me, obviously, it didn't happen like this, but it seemed to me that in a flash, Everything with a penis in that room disappeared and were found sitting around Susan, who was on the stairs with them gazing adoringly up at her. Huge lesson. Wow. Huge lesson. Yeah. You can be as clever and as witty as you like. They'll always go for the simpering one with the big tits. Uh, life lesson. It indeed, was, indeed. yeah, and I just couldn't compete. And, you know, I, it's, it's quite, certainly at the grammar, uh, you know, you're always taught you're as good as anybody. Mm. Um, uh, it's, you know, you're all... Nobody is lesser as long as you work hard and pass your exams, and that's great. And uh, and then you find out that there are things that you can't let. You can't work hard mm. 
and be adorable. <laughs> you know, you just get much to my horror. <laughs> you know, you can't. Well, you know, there's still time. There's still time. I don't think there is, Nathan. <laughs> I don't. Let's be realistic about this. Well. I have... I came to terms a while ago with my lack of adorability. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what is it Machiavelli said? It's better to be feared than to be loved. Wow. Is, I have that it? tattooed on my inner thigh. <laughs> no, I don't, but I did think about it. Well, yeah, I mean, being feared, it's... Um, I mean, you've done so much in your career, acting, writing, producing, directing... Um, you've been on Wikipedia, haven't you? But it's... <laughs> <laughs> just uh, yeah, updating my own entry. It's um, it has a critic and as a feared, as you say, comedy critic. That's most people, I guess, listening to this this podcast. Will, uh, yes, carry on. Will know you as. Do you like that no. reputation no. now? Did you no. ever like no. it when you first no. started in 1999? No. I believe. No. You never liked it. No. Um, I I don't think. Um, I the. Obviously, you can't stop people being... Fr- when I started, I, I did theatre as well as comedy. Yep. I wish I still did, uh, because... Um, Reviewing theatre and comedy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I reviewed theatre for a long time. Mm. And there are... The, the theatre people are... Obviously, theatre people are different from comics. And the... Comics take every everything is personal about comedy, absolutely everything. And if it's not meant personally, it's taken personally. And and if it's you know, it, how would it how would it not be personal if there's just one person on stage? How and you're describing them and their act? How would it not be taken personally? Because that's exactly it. I'm personal. If I say something personal, it would be. Um, about them as a human about being. About them as a human being. They, I don't like this person. They seem smug. They seem this. They yeah. seem that. Just an unpleasant little person. <laughs> now, I, I can't remember ever saying that about any comic, much <laughs> though uh, it did, it has sprung to mind. What you say, I mean, the whole point, you're not criticising them as a person. You are criticizing or, or talking about their work, their, you know, nobody, no matter how many times, how many people have gone into an art gallery and gone, for fuck's sake, Jackson Pollock, what the fuck is this? He's just thrown paint at a canvas. Jackson Pollock has never gone, they just hated me. I, it's just very personal that. It's, it's not. And I think one of the toxicities of uh, comedy is that comedians see themselves and their work as one sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's, that's not, they are not one with their work. Yeah. And if, they feel they are, then I think that will be to the detriment of their work. Yeah. Um, you... I, no, I was just going to say, but I, I just think it, it's fair to say, though, isn't it, that compared to other reviewers, why you have this reputation, why you, uh, is that you're 
more caustic, more brutal than someone like, for example, Bruce Desso. So I, I, I just wondered where that came from. Was that, was that a decision of yours right from the get-go, whether that was in theatre and comedy, to do that and take no prisoners and be slightly the, more brutal, or was it...? I think the word you're, you're uh, struggling to find there, Nathan, um, is uh, honest. I just, yeah. at the, at the, from the get-go, I, the, the very, uh, the very least you can be, mm. the bottom line of a halfway decent critic is honesty. Yeah. If you go in to review something mm. and you are not honest, yeah. then you really shouldn't be there. If you have any hint of an ulterior motive, yeah. then don't fucking do it. Yeah. Don't do it if you're there so that you can sound smart. Yeah. You know, like, uh, oh, I can, I can be really witty with this, uh, with this review. Yeah. Uh, don't do it if you're there to score points. Yeah. Don't do it if you're there uh, in the hope of getting laid by a comic that you fancy and you can give a five-star review. Mm. Don't do it unless you are going to look and listen and bring what you know and what you understand to what you write yeah. in an honest way. So it was, never, it was never a conscious decision to be slightly more brutal than you are in real life. You know, no. um, it, it was never a conscious decision. I've heard you on other podcasts talking about comics who would be, well, like in, in anywhere in the industry, there are pigeonholes for us all. Yep. And you get put in the pigeonhole and that is where you make your money. Was there never a case that you, you thought back in 99 or whenever it started that, well, to make my name here... I'll be I the vicious to, one. Yeah, I'll be the vicious one. No. Like a Simon Cowell figure, no? Absolutely, honestly. Simply be, um, because... Uh, at, in 1999, um, as I say, I, I, it was probably about 50-50. Uh. And if you look back at my reviews, if you read every single review I've ever written, God help you, uh, you they're not... I am as uh, effusive when I'm positive as I am when I'm negative. You are. Yeah. I just happen to be, um, I'm, number one, I'm not that sure how much good a review is that goes, yeah, it was fine. Uh, I, I, personally, I wouldn't like to have someone go, yeah, that was okay. Um, so I tend to be positive or negative. I, I, I find it. And, and if, I go, one of, the, one of the challenges is, certainly with the Scotsman, you know, you have 350 words for a five-star review, 300 for a four-star review, 200 for a three-star review, 100 for a two-star review, and 50 words for a one-star review. So, I am I, not a fan of that. I understand from a logistical point of view, in, in terms of putting the paper to bed, there has to be that, but um, a five-star review can you just go 
fucking hell, you have to see this. Go, 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 go. Mm. Um, a one-star review, I think, deserves more than 50 words because you have <laughs> to see, this is what I felt was wrong with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I very rarely, I can't give a one-star review. It would have to be, again, I, I have no objection to sitting through a show which is just a disaster. Um, I'm quite a fan of disastrous shows. If, if this is a show where somebody flings everything they've got at the wall and it goes horribly wrong, there's a kind of wonder in that. There's a, you know, it, it's like climbing, wanting to climb Everest with no uh, oxygen gear. There, there's something glorious in somebody just going for it, whether or not they fail. And similarly, what I hate most, and I really do it, is, is somebody not trying. Yeah. Somebody going up there, you know, it's the, the privilege that it is to have a stage for just you and a microphone for just you mm. and a room <laughs> full of people for just you. Mm. You know, um, clapping for you. Really, you you ought to be ending every gig on your knees, thanking whatever it is that you believe in. Because no matter how well, I don't know, even a doctor does his job. Yeah. Nobody's standing outside applauding. <laughs> well, they are now, which, yeah, is, well, which is annoying. Yeah, yeah, we'll some of our but, you know, yeah. there's not, uh, you know, the, the, you can, in, in Lidl, I have to say, the, the people on the checkout, they're yeah. fantastic. They're speedy, they're charming. Yeah. Nobody fucking applauds them. Yeah. And so to have, uh, to have someone go up on a stage yeah. and not to feel that they are trying yeah. every, with every fibre of their misbegotten being <laughs> That they are giving their best yeah. really angers me. Yeah. And where, where does this anger and this, we can hear your incredible passion here. Where, where do you think that comes from? You know, when did that develop? You know, because you were, you were a performer, weren't you? And you yep. were, you, you know, oh, you I think a, a, quite a comedy possible. performer. Was it, yeah. was it, were you was, this opinionated a, and passionate from childhood or just I was after? a diabolically, but the only time, I, I mean, I tried stand up for a very short while. Yeah. Uh, I was dreadful. Absolutely dreadful, and I know. Did you review yourself? Yeah. Well, I do. I uh, <laughs> then it was. It was. I think it was. Was it the eighties or very early nineties? Mm. And I know exactly why I was dreadful. I was irredeemably dreadful because I was completely dishonest. Yep. I was kind of standing up there, going, "I'll say a few clever things, witty things." There was nobody there. Yeah. I was the kind of comic that I hate to see yeah. now. Kind of doing the tick boxes, going through the motions. Um, most of the material was just picked up from elsewhere. Yeah. Dreadful. There was no person on stage. Yeah. 
I've heard you say that before that there was there was nobody there. Yeah, was, there was, was nobody. That because, there. Was that because you were you didn't have anything to talk about in terms of being yourself, or you didn't want to talk about yourself, or? Because I think I was you, a I think I was a massive fuck up. And at that age, yeah. What what kind of age was that? Uh, probably thirties. I mean, I was a massive fuck up from when I was seventeen till I got citalopram about ten years ago. Right. So um, what do you mean, sorry, by fuck up at 17? Uh, oh, I, I had a very close personal relationship with uh, a half a dozen um, uh, kebab skewers, which I used to stick in my arm. Uh, I was a massive, massive, massive drunk. I had a very... had a. Uh, kind of tumbler of vodka at the side of my bed in the morning so that as soon as I woke up I just necked that and everything was okay. Uh, I was just, I, I, I don't even know what the adjective is, violently, just terrifyingly bulimic from when I was 17 till I got this telegram. Um, and so, the, the, I think with the, with the stand-up, I had no idea who would have been there if somebody had been there, if you know what I mean. But what I did know was as long as the shiny, clever, sarky person was there generally in life, people seemed to laugh and go, ah, oh, you're so clever, you're so witty. And I stupidly and wrongly imagined that you could just take that and stick it on a stage. And they would all go, ha, you're so witty, you're so clever. And of course, they didn't, largely. And, and also because the, the last time I did anything, I was emceeing at, because uh, uh, I did cabaret. I was good at cabaret and I was funny at cabaret because that's, you know, a couple of witty lines and then an intro to the next funny song. Yeah, was and, that at a similar age, like in your? Yeah, oh, I did cabaret from when I was in my twenties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I loved that. Yeah. I loved that. Yeah. Um, and I did comedy theatre. I did straight theatre. I did uh, monologues. I did a lot of sketch shows. Yeah. That sort of stuff, and all of that, you don't really need to be a person for. Yeah, and all through this time, you were really struggling with your mental health you were oh, you see that <sighs> now i would say i was seriously fucked up yeah, yeah. um i don't know that so, i was struggling with my mental health i wasn't really struggling i was just uh, placating it with vast amounts of <laughs> uh vodka and then yeah. when it got very bad what you know sometimes you feel like you're going to explode and i would stick a skewer in my arm and then that'd be okay well, that is certainly, yeah, struggling or certainly masking the struggles. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, uh, I honestly think, as someone who has been there, um, I, I know people that cut and, and whatnot. I, I think yeah. they're different, but they're different. I was fine. No, but I absolutely found the, my skewers a phenomenal way of coping. Doesn't, you know, it doesn't leave a scar, it just leaves like a freckle. Yeah. 
Yeah. And what it did was when you know when you feel your head, you're just going to explode. Mm. Stick the skewer in the arm, twizzle it round, and it's like bursting that balloon of uh, whatever you want to call it, rage, pain, whatever. Yep. And I, if somebody had stopped me from doing that, gone, oh no, this is terrible, yourself. I wasn't self-harming, I was self-treating. Uh, I would say I was self-treating. Right. Self-medicating. Do you still with... look at it like that? Yes, I do. Very much so. Right. And I, I... yes, I do. Um, I think the the drinking was very toxic. Um, and I think the bulimia was horrific and uh, that's just the only time when I feel sorry for myself a bit is when I look back on that. That was... On those years? Decades. Yeah. Yeah, that was horrific. Yeah. So when did you get out of that pattern? Uh, when I... Uh, I had a bit of a, uh, every, the drink really, the drink and the, the skewers really helped, but I would have, um, I would just kind of disappear down a rabbit hole every so often. Um, and uh, I literally disappear, just go and, it's one of the great things about, uh, being single and whatnot, that you can just disappear. So I had disappeared a bit, and it, it's, I mean, I know, it, uh, it's, it's depression, you just feel nothing, really. And I can always feel when it gets worse, because you feel less and less and less and less. And I, with me, what happens is that I, um, like I remember I was in Balance in uh, O'Compton Street and I just bought a new coat and left Balance at about five o'clock in the morning and I left my coat in Balance and I was walking along Brewer Street going you've left your coats in Balance why don't you go back and get just go back and get the go back and get the fucking coat it's brand new and I didn't, and I walked home from Central London to Shepherd's Bush, going, look, it's the, it cost you 55 quid, go back and get... And that, uh, I know things are going a bit tits up when I do things like that. And the next night, uh, I left my phone in a taxi, and the taxi was sitting there, and I was getting your phone, just, just knock on the door, just knock on the window, get your phone, get... And so... Uh, the, the last night, um, for some reason, best known to myself, I got on my bike and I cycled round Shepherd's Bush roundabout into the oncoming traffic. Um, I think probably in the hope that I would feel something, you know, front whatever. Anyway, I didn't. Uh, but a white van driver did. He felt rage. <laughs> <laughs> so I put my bike down. And again, walked home, and and then I thought, this is. If if I'd got smashed to a pulp, Dad would be devastated, mm. 
So I went to the GP and um, the GP went, I think you need help. And uh, gave me citalopram. Yeah. And literally, my life, not overnight, but after about a week. Yeah. I can't, I know it doesn't work for everyone, but yeah. I wake up in the morning and my head's okay. That's great, that's great. It, it, I don't feel, I just feel fine. Mm. And the, the bulimia's dropped. Um, the drinking didn't stop, but I, I didn't drink the way yeah. I used to drink. Yeah. Um, so when, it, when was that, sorry? Uh, that was about, where are we, 2020? Probably about 15 years ago. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, 2005, so that's, I mean, as you say, decades since you, yeah. were, since you were 17. And if you don't mind me taking you back to when you were <laughs> 17, you know, we've talked about your, as you said, very loving, idyllic childhood. Can you pinpoint anything that happened then? To My mum died. Right. Overnight. Uh, she had a brain hemorrhage. Um, it... That's crap, obviously. Came out the blue. But um, uh, my dad fell apart. And that was beyond my imagining, I think, because... You know, he'd always said, any problems, tell them to call me. You know, it, it, it wasn't any more traumatic than anyone else. You know, and uh, I was, I just newly 17. And it, it all just, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, but I, I think it was like losing, I, you know, I suppose it's for a very, uh, religious persons like finding out there's no God. Because, I mean, and stupid when you think at 17, thinking your father can still fix everything in the universe as we know it and a little bit beyond. But I, I think I, I did and then uh, he turned out to be human, who knew? Uh, and, you know, I... I don't know, I suppose, uh, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, I did, think... Did you seek any help at that time? No. Were you given any med uh, help? Yes, or? I was, I, 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 I kind of was packed off to the funny farm for a little bit. Right. Um, uh, and I had, I was given uh, antidepressants called Sinequan, which uh, were then taken off the market, apparently, because they gave you a party in your head. Right. Uh, and then your know, dad was worried about getting hooked on drugs. But I, yes, I had a close relationship with uh, uh, Valium, Librium, but mainly alcohol. Yeah. And. Oh my goodness. Uh, so, I mean, it sounds. Yeah, without. I mean, your, your mum dying, obviously, how traumatic. And without that, do you think. Any of that would have happened? Do you think that was the I have the no one? idea. Do you think that was the no, I don't, thing? That I think <clears throat> all of our lives, Mandy, Susan, Jeff, me, Dad, all our lives changed. We talk about it sometimes, that we'd all be, I might be an English teacher, or 
yeah. uh, a psychologist. Uh, I was, um, that was kind of plan A, English and psychology. Mm. I, I could have been sitting where you are. Because <laughs> I heard you talking about, you know, you went into being, being an actress, I guess, in your twenties. Um, yeah. You know, certainly working in this field because yep. you didn't want to be yourself. You didn't want to be yourself. And you've just talked about being a stand-up but not giving any of yourself yep. away. You know, that's, I mean, that would have been very different, I think, wouldn't it, if you'd have carried oh, yeah. on with those... Oh, com completely. Yeah. I mean, I, I did amateur stuff. So my mum was a leading light of the local operatic society. Yeah. And uh, I was always around there. I always loved theatre. I loved, yeah, I, I, it's interesting. I did, that was exactly why I wanted to be an actress, because I didn't ever need to be me. I could be wonderful, I could be, you know, I, I, I could be anything. Yeah. Um, and... But was there, was there any of that, sorry, was there any of that, that it was like at that time, you could be anything because you didn't want to be yourself, because what, who you really were was someone that had been through this massive trauma that perhaps you hadn't dealt with sufficiently. You weren't given that support. You know, the real you was incredibly troubled. You needed help at that time. So this was, whether you were hiding it through drink or hiding it through being an actress, that, that is what had happened. I think uh, um, I, gen I feel very uncomfortable with uh, n not just me, but anyone doing the um, yeah, they weren't given enough help, they weren't given enough this. But I do think I, I think that you know back then, and certainly in in my my dad's generation, the whole Scottish oh for goodness sake sort yourself out <laughs> was not right. Yeah. But I also think that we think far too much about it nowadays. And, and practically everything can be turned into a problem if you think about it often enough. And I, I just, I, I loathe that. I loathe that. And I think... But your mum, you, you, forgive me, but your mum dying instantly, that's, that's, problems don't get much bigger than that, you know, well, don't you think? I, I, I think they do because, um, uh, uh, People die. It's not that everybody's mum doesn't die. Sure, and but instantly like that. And so prior to the dying, which obviously was a bit of a bummer, mm. uh, prior to the dying, we'd had an absolutely glorious, wonderful childhood. Right. Right up to 17. And, and um, uh, with just, and my mum was my friend, and we, uh, she took, we, we went to singing lessons together, and it was, she was an amazing, incredible woman, and um, no, I, I, I think uh, I don't. Obviously, something got a bit fucked up, mm. but um, I don't know. You know, I, I think I all. I do think. I say I think a lot, don't I? Um, I believe that we are all the sum total of our life experiences and traumas and 
that which does not destroy me makes me strong. And I don't think you learn anything from happiness. I think you learn and you change and you grow through trauma and life experience and shit happening and understanding that um, understanding that 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 most things are not as big as you make them out to be and you know the best really when I started working as uh, when I started being Mama Biashara and I spend about four and a half, four and a half months, nearly five months over there, over in Kenya. And these women are incredible. They're on, they're just amazing in every way and what they have gone through and how they are treated and, and I, I I did <laughs> I do think sometimes that a lot of the people because you probably have a similar Facebook feed to mine Nathan yeah. and never a day goes by without somebody on there going a sand hugs the black dog is upon me I'm struggling with my mental health. And what I would genuinely love to do, but tell you what, come with me. Come with me and look outside yourself. Don't think, just let's do a fortnight where you're not thinking about you and your mental health and you're this and you're that. And you're with people with genuine, huge, whole life problems. And you are in a position where you can help, you can do things, and you're not thinking about you. Yeah. I think that's absolutely fair enough to say that, but I think it's also fair enough, isn't it, to say that what you went through at 17 with your mum dying instantly, that is a huge tragedy. And, you know, I hear you that you say you can learn from these experiences, you can learn from tragedy, and that can improve your life. But how much better that that doesn't happen as well sometimes? Yes, <laughs> How much true. better if that hadn't have happened? It, 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 oh, it's... It, with, with, with mum... I, it, we all, you know, the, um, Mandy, Susan, Jeff and Dad, we all acknowledge, you know, as, as you go through the years, when someone dies, there's, you know, the first Christmas, their first birthday, the this, the this, and then you get to the really horrible ones, like, I've been alive longer without mum, than I was alive with her. And so there's, there's landmarks. And the one thing that we all totally acknowledge is that it, it's, it goes so far beyond better. It would be 
we would all be completely different people. Yeah. The, the, it was kind of the whole family was sort of blown apart. Um, it, it was huge, it was massive. But um, I don't think that there is any purpose, any positive purpose to going, well, you know, maybe if my mum hadn't died and it all been, it was all ghastly and, you know, I spent years on uh, Valium and whatnot, uh, maybe I would have been a much nicer person and, you know, I could have been knitting baby socks for a living. It's, um, what I think, what, I don't believe in God, I don't believe, but I, I think you, I don't know. I don't know, actually, I don't know why I started saying that. But don't, I mean, don't you think that, you know, this reputation that you have, you're talking about being a nice person. You are clearly a very, very nice person. The <laughs> things you do here, you know, I mean, you laugh at that, but you, do, you, do you have a problem with me saying you're a nice person? Because clearly what you're doing here and what you're doing in, in, in Kenya and what you're doing the charity and the shop here, that's clearly a very, very nice person. A, a, a good heart. This is something that most people, and certainly most people, probably almost everyone, apart from you, in our industry, in the comedy <laughs> industry, <laughs> you are care, you're now caring for others. <laughs> is there a little bit of you that thinks, you say you went to a quote funny farm when yeah. you, at those times, but it sounds like you weren't given a lot of help and therapy to deal with that trauma. Oh, there was event. no therapy. Yeah, of course. Of no course. therapy. No, I, I got to... But in terms, of, in terms of getting over that, you're now... You know, I've heard you say in other podcasts, maybe, maybe it's I'm coming to the end of being this comedy critic. And as you've you know, indicated here, some of the things you see on the feed from other comedians mm. moaning about maybe the small stuff, that you are... You know, it's taken you 30, 40 years, mm. but you are finding that person that you maybe were as a childhood, this loving person, this being loved. Yeah. And over the last few years, you've put that into this Kenya charity, which is so great and shows you as a nice person. Do you think of I don't, it like no. that? No, absolutely not. So, as you can hear, there was far too much in this conversation to put it all in one episode. So join me again next week for the second part of my conversation with Kate Copstick and find out whether she relents and lets me call her caring, at least for her charity work, if not for her comedy or reviews, but maybe for both. And I look for some support from our work colleague at Mama, Biashara. So that is our show for today. Join us again next week for more side comedy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us and any psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psych Comedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hansen, BA English for Pop People Productions, theme music by Mike as well. So that's Psych Comedy. Please subscribe, rate, and listen back on all the great episodes. So far, they're listed in those video clips and more at psychcomedy.co.uk. And if you'd like to support the podcast, please, for £5 a month and get loads of bonus, uncut video and more, please go to patreon.com slash Nathan Cassidy. Follow us on social media at Pod People UK, at Psychomedy Pod, at Nathan Cassidy. 
and find out more about Mama Biashara at mamabiashara.com. M-A-M-A-B-I-A-S-H-A-R-A, mamabiashara.com. Thanks so much to Kate Copstick. Join me again for a brilliant part two next week. Lots of love. Pod people.